Good morning, everyone. My name's Alicia Lee. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and um, I'm getting over this, like, month long, it feels like two months, three months, I've been coughing a lot. And so if I get into one, one of my coughing fits, like nobody rush the stage, it's gonna be okay, it'll pass, I've got water. So just wanna give you that caveat up front. Um, so as Jasmine said, we are starting today a new sermon series. It's a month long series called, Who Am I? We spent the first few months of the year uh, trying to answer the question that Jesus poses to his disciples. Who do you say I am? We did it by moving through some key parts of the Old Testament and then some key parts of the New Testament. Um, and now we're switching gears. We're asking, who am I? Meaning, who am I? And who are you? Who are we? And the ordering of this teaching series is really important. It's really intentional because we can't understand who we are until we begin to understand who God is. So I'm kicking off the who am I part of the series today with a message on identity. Jasmine's going to speak next week. She'll be followed up by Marcy and then Phil, and that'll be the month of May. Um, so last week, I was in Atlanta at a ministry conference, um, and um, Jasmine and I didn't plan this, but I had a chance to listen to a talk given by a pastor named Rich Velotis. Um, he is the pastor of a church in Queens called New Life Fellowship, and it's funny that I was in Atlanta and hearing a New York City pastor, but that's just New York City, right? Um, but I'm glad I did, because he talked about discipleship. And he said that at his church, they talk about an iceberg model of discipleship, where they really focus in on the stuff beneath the surface, because that's what Jesus is most interested in transforming. It's what we can't see. And I was already starting last week to think about what I was going to speak on today on the topic of identity, so I thought, this is so great. Pastor Rich is writing my sermon for me. Like, how do I, how do I record this on my phone? You know, our identity is an iceberg. That's perfect. You know, there's stuff you can see. There's stuff that you can't see. This is great. But as Pastor Rich started to talk about the importance of examining what's beneath the surface, examining what's... Um, inside examining our interior life, I realized I'm not actually supposed to talk about all that. Examining our interior life is important. Don't get me wrong. I think for some people, introspection can seem indulgent or somehow even antithetical to the Christian life, but it's so important. In my community group, we've been reading Hebrews. And just last week, we read Hebrews 12, and we read this. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. That really hit me because that verse puts our wounds and our sins side by side. Examination of our wounds, our past, our hurt, our families, our experiences, if we're to turn away from our sin and really transform to be more like Christ, We've got to understand and pay attention to our wounds. But I realized I'm not really supposed to talk about that. And it's not just because I'm not a social worker or a counselor or an Enneagram expert. It's true, I'm not any of those things, but it's just not what God has called me to speak on. So as I started to think about what God has called me to speak on, as I started to think about my life, and how God has spoken to me, and how he's spoken to me, and it started to become clear. Because time and time and time and time again in my life, God has very kindly and graciously told me that he loves me. 
He has shown me that he loves me. And I have experienced his love in the marrow of my bones. And it's one of the reasons he's done all that is so I can stand up here and tell you all about it. It's so I can stand up here and tell you with the highest degree of confidence and conviction and authority that he loves me and he loves you. And that whatever else makes up your identity, whatever else your iceberg looks like, what's on top and what's below, that your identity above all else is loved. And the thing is, it's not a secret. I'm not the only one he's told. He really, really wants us to know that we're loved. It's like he's a marketing executive and you are his target customer. And it's like he's designed an entire marketing campaign just to tell you. His singular goal is to tell you that you are loved. There is this framework that every marketing executive knows. It's called think, feel, and do. People in marketing all know think, feel, and do. It's a framework that they use to communicate with target customers. They ask themselves, what do I want my customer to think? What do I want my customer to feel? And what do I want my customer to do? I want us this morning to think about God as a marketing executive and to think about ourselves as the target customer. Let's look at how he tells us he loves us through that framework. So, number one, what does God want us to think? God wants us to think that he loves us. And he does this through the gospel. He does this through the good news. What is the good news? Well, in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it tells us the story about how God created us. How we turned away from him, and we kept turning away from him but how he came after us and kept coming after us and how finally he made a way for us to come back to him through Jesus. You're welcome. That's 1,200 pages of the Bible summarized for you. Two Testaments, 66 books, all to tell us the gospel, and it's captured in a single verse that Jasmine read, John 3, 16. You know, I try to memorize parts of the Bible. I'm really, really bad at memorizing. Maybe some of you guys are too, but um, if you were to just pick one verse to start, pick one verse to memorize, memorize John 3.16 because that is the Bible. That's the entire Bible. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. This one verse captures the entire message of the Bible. It's what God wants us to think, so let's unpack it. We'll unpack some of the key words. We'll talk about God, we'll talk about the world, we'll talk about the sun, and we'll talk about eternal life, starting with God. Who is God? God is the creator. The Bible says he spoke the universe into being. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He speaks, and it is so. As the creator, God has no beginning, and he has no end. And so when the Israelites called out to him, who are you? He said, I am. I am. Because there is nowhere that he is not. There is nothing that doesn't fall under his dominion, under his authority, under his rule. That's God. For God so loved the world. So what's the world? The world is his creation. It's what he spoke into being. And most especially, it's who he spoke into being. It's all of us here. 
all of us who have ever been here, but it's not just us in the macro sense, it's us in the micro sense. It's you and it's me, for God so loved us. Now, what does it mean that God gave his only son? Who's the son? Um, He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is also God himself. Jesus is one of the three persons of God. He was there at the beginning. He is the great I am, and he's in heaven now, seated with God on the throne, with God, but also fully God himself, that God. That God so loved the world, so loved all of us, that he came to the world as man, to be born to man, to grow into a man, to have the same limitations as man, to be tempted as man, but not to fall into sin, but instead to submit himself to death at the hands of man. For God so loved the world that he sacrificed his son, sacrificed himself for us, so that our sins could be atoned for once and for all, so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be reunited with our creator. All we have to do is just believe. Believe that he did this and we can be together with him. And that's the last part of John 3.16. That's what eternal life means. It means to be with God. It means to be uh, together with him, to no longer be separated from him. If we believe that God did this, if we believe that he gave his only son, we shall not perish but have eternal life. We'll be together with God again forever. The way that he created us to be, the way he meant for it to be. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, Jesus is the manifestation of God's love for us. He is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. That's the gospel. It's what scripture tells us. And so whether you read it in the Bible, or you hear it in church, or you hear it from another believer, that's the good news. It's what God wants us to think. Now what about feel? What does God want us to feel? Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. That's what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah says about the coming Christ. It's what he prophesies about Christ. So what is God saying? He doesn't want for God so loved the world to just be head knowledge that we think about here. He doesn't want it to just live up here. He wants us to have heart knowledge because head knowledge is important, but it's insufficient. Heart knowledge, heart knowledge is what he wants. So how does it happen? How does Jesus move from here to here? The answer is the Holy Spirit. So right before Jesus ascends to heaven, um, in John 16, I'm gonna kind of paraphrase it here. Um, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away, you're not going to get the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit so much that it's good that Jesus goes away. I'm about to say something that you're not going to hear at church. The gospel is absurd. I know I just stood up here and told you that it's like the most obvious thing in the world, um, but it's not obvious. 
It runs counter to reason. It runs counter to the natural laws of the world. It runs counter to the world itself, the Bible and the gospel. It's absurd. John 3.16 sounds okay when you say it up here into a microphone, right, at Lower Manhattan Community Church. But imagine me going to Bubby's. And right before I get my table, I'm waiting for Saturday brunch, and I say, for God so loved the world. Now imagine me going down to the New York Stock Exchange, and at the closing bell, I say, he gave his only son. Now imagine me picking up my kids from school, any school here in Tribeca, and saying, you can have eternal life. The truth is at complete odds with the world, and certainly with this world. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So who is this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of God. The Holy Spirit is God here in this world. When we're baptized as believers, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive God in us. It's the only way that we can know the truth. John 16 also says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The truth is too fantastic. It's too beautiful. It's too wonderful. It's absurd. It's absurd to grasp on our own. And the only way to know Jesus is to literally have Jesus in us. God wants us to feel that he loves us through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus in us. All right, so now what does God want us to do? This is where the whole God as a marketing executive thing kind of breaks down. Because God doesn't want us to go out and buy an iced matcha latte. He doesn't want us to just do it. He doesn't want us to know that America runs on Duncan. What does God want us to do? He wants us to love him. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The Bible says Matthew 22 is the greatest commandment. We all know something about love, right? We all know something about love through our families, through our friendships, our marriages, our relationships. We all know something about love, and I think one of the reasons why God gives us all of these loves is to teach us about his love. The Bible says as much. The Bible doesn't just tell us that God loves us. The Bible actually tells us how God loves us. Throughout the Bible, you will read things like, God loves us as sons and daughters. He loves us as friends. He loves us as a groom loves his bride. He loves us as special possessions. His love, it is every love that has ever filled us. It is every love that has ever failed us, expressed in perfect fullness. And here's something that we all know about love. If you love someone, what do you want? More than anything, if you love someone, what you want is for them to love you back. There is nothing more painful than unrequited love, and nothing more satisfying than a love that is reciprocated. And knowing that brings me to my knees because God is the most high. He is the all-powerful. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. The greatest commandment could be anything he wants it to be. But what is it? It's a call for us to love him. Our high and mighty and powerful God risks the pain of unrequited love, all because there's a chance that we'll choose to love him back, and that is worth the risk. The greatest commandment is to love him because he loves us. So let's put that all together. 
God wants to put the gospel in our minds. He wants us to think that he loves us. Through the Holy Spirit, he writes the gospel on our hearts because he wants us to feel that he loves us. And then he tells us to love him. Think, feel, do. This is how God tells us he loves us. Let's think about that iceberg again, our identity. And let's take just a couple minutes right now and think about our identities as an iceberg. You know, all the stuff on the surface you can see, all the stuff below that you can't see. I'm gonna talk about me, but I want you to think about you. So, I'm 5'8", I tell people I'm 5'9". Um, I have black hair, right? My folks are from Taiwan, so that's part of who I am and part of what you can see. I'm a mom, that's visible. Um, you can see my husband and my three kids. And then there's lots of stuff below the surface. There's my upbringing. There's insecurity. There's hopes and dreams. There's ambition, there's lots of ambition. There's some pretty traumatic stuff in my adult life. Um, but what if, instead of just seeing that as it is, what if I pick up a magnifying glass and I look at all of that through this magnifying glass that represents God's love for us? What if I look at it through that lens? What if I examine myself through the lens of God's love? What if I examine everything that has ever happened to me and everything that will happen to me through that lens of God's love for me? This is really tricky. Because I know that for some of you, you're in the middle of the hardest season of your life. You're in pain and you're wondering if he's there. Where is he? And as someone who has been there, who has come out the other side, I can tell you if you could just see what you're going through through that magnifying glass, you'll see that he's searching for you, that he's determined to find you and whatever you're going through is a part of that. It feels impossible sometimes, but if we can see things through the lens of God's love, if we can know he loves us and he wants everything for our good, it changes everything. So at the start of our time this morning, I said time and time and time and time again that God has told me he loves me, that he's shown me he's loved me, that I feel in the marrow of my bones that he loves me. Here's one way that he told me. I had my son Noah in 2017. My husband Jason and I tried for a while to get pregnant and I was starting to get frustrated and nervous when a woman in our community group invited us over for lunch. It was the first time she had ever invited us over and she was so nervous the whole time and I couldn't understand why. I thought maybe she's just really nervous to cook for us. She served course after course of lunch when she finally uh, worked up the nerve to tell us why she had invited us, over, invited us over. She said, God told me to tell you you're pregnant. No one had ever said anything like that to me before. Um, I took a test right away. I wasn't pregnant, but I became pregnant. And one month later, this friend was the first person I called to tell the good news. After Noah turned one, we started trying for a second. And one day at church, it was actually the very first time I ever got up here to speak in front of the church. Um, one day before service, someone, let's call her Jasmine, prayed for me. <laughs> and she told me this. She said those same words. God told me, you're pregnant. 
This is Jasmine we're talking about, so you don't mess around. I took a test right away. I wasn't pregnant, but guess what? One month later, I was, and I called Jasmine to tell her the good news. So when Lucy was two, we started trying for a third. You know where this is going already, right? So last February, I got a text from someone else at this church, and she said in her text message to me, I had a dream. And, and I, she didn't know we were trying for a third. She said, I had a dream, and in it, you were pregnant, and it was so vivid and so real, I had to check my Instagram to see if you were pregnant. I wasn't pregnant when she texted me in February, but in March, I was. And I said, um, you're right. God told you I was pregnant, and I was. And baby Grace, our third, is now six months old. The Bible says that God spoke the heavens and earth into existence, and I never knew what that really meant until he spoke my children into existence. He knit my children together in my womb. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He numbered the hairs on my head. He numbered your hairs on your head. That is what God has called me in my life to speak to. That is at the heart of every prayer I ever pray at this church, every conversation I ever have, every sermon I ever give. What God has called me to speak to is your identity and my identity as loved, created, and loved. Let's pray together. Lord, we've heard the gospel. It's in our heads. It's swimming around in our heads, but Lord, we need you to move it from our heads to our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I invite the Holy Spirit here this morning, and whether it's moving to our hearts for the first time, or whether we've grown weary and we need refreshment and renewal and reminder of your love in our hearts. Lord, I invite the Holy Spirit to come, to draw near, to do your work. Holy Spirit, give us fresh revelation of your love. Help us to see ourselves clearly as your beloved creation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.